you build out your platform as a standalone, you prove its value, you know, in a certain segment or a certain population, um, and then you know you leave it open to integration from day one and build those partnerships along the way. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host Tom Salomes. Great to have you joining us again this week. On today's show, we have Meredith Katz, CEO of Nix. Meredith is the founder and CEO of Nix, a biosensor startup spun out of Harvard University. The initial product is a sweat sensor that informs athletes, soldiers, and laborers of their hydration status, sweat rate, electrolyte losses, and core body temperature in real time. A serial company starter, Meredith has worked closely with several Boston, New York-based venture capital firms in the creation of seven life science and consumer startups prior to Nix. Meredith sits on the board of several companies and nonprofits, including Girls on the Run of Greater Boston, Consumer Technology Association's Health and Fitness Technology Division, and the Cambridge Friends School, of which she is an alumna. Meredith is a college basketball player turned marathoner who has completed nine marathons in the past six years and is proud to have earned her six-star medal having run all the world major marathons. She received her AB from Bryn Mawr College where she received the Anna Pell Wheeler Prize for Mathematics and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Meredith is a Kaufman Fellow as well as a Harvard Business School Blavatnik Fellow. Biosensors uh, and wearable fitness tracking is a really interesting space, so it was great to chat to Meredith on this today. Uh, if you'd like to look at the show notes from today's episode, you can go to sportstechfeed.com. Uh, also check out some previous episodes. Uh, as I mentioned in the episode, we've got a few other guests in this space coming up, uh, including Will Ahmed, founder of Whoop. Uh, so some good chats coming up. So if you want to stay tuned to what we're doing at Sports Tech World Series, go to sportstechworldseries.com. We've got our weekly newsletter there. You'll be informed of the podcast. Uh, some other news and kind of happenings, uh, and it's only weekly, so not flooding your inbox. I'm your host, Thomas Limes, and here's Meredith. Meredith Cass, CEO of Nix. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. So today we're talking all about biosensors, and as a very basic starting point, but obviously a hugely important one, what are biosensors? I think people define it a little differently. For us, um, it's really about um, a separation in definition from what we think of uh, traditionally with wearables. So things that can be detected with GPS, accelerometry, even heart rate and variations of heart rate. Uh, we really think about biosensors as a whole different class of looking at true sort of electrochemical biomarkers. And that's what Nix is doing. And so what are some of the applications of that? Um, for us, it ranges from everything from nutrition to skincare, women's health, infant care, um, oral health care. Um, it's really pretty, pretty broad reaching. Um, and the way that we think about those applications is uh, things that we can access um, in the near term, non-invasively, because our intent is to be consumer focused. Um, but things that we can access non-invasively through things like sweat, tears, saliva, breast milk, exhaled breath, and so on. So things that are just excreted, um, some people don't like that word, but it's a, <laughs> fairly technical and, and, and medical. Yes. Uh, it is, but excreted from the body. So as you said, sweat, all this other stuff that just happens as a byproduct of the body doing its thing. Um, and you can measure information data from that. Is, yeah. So how does that happen? Is that like, what does the sensor actually look like for, I guess, sweat as an example? Yeah, for us, it takes the form of a patch. Um, so we're gathering sweat as it comes off the surface of the skin. We're separating it from sort of the broader environment, um, meaning that we're controlling for evaporation or contamination from the outside environment. So any bit of sweat 
that's leaving the surface of the skin at the location of our patch has to flow through our patch uh, to kind of get out, if you will. And so as it's flowing through that patch, we're measuring various elements of the sweat. Um, in the near term, you know, we're really looking at fluid losses and electrolyte losses in terms of being able to support um, real-time hydration management in the field. Uh, but there are many, many add-ons that we've been working on, including, you know, ion specificity within the sweat. So you know how much, you know, sodium is being lost relative to potassium chloride, you know, et cetera. Um, but also looking at other elements of the sweat, cortisol, um, drugs of abuse, which are detected um, or detectable through sweat. Um, a lot of folks are looking at glucose in the sweat. Uh, we have no interest in doing that for diabetes management. There's a whole, you know, clinical path and, and path through the FDA that we're not interested in taking there. But there are actually some really interesting, you know, consumer uh, insights that can be drawn through sweat glucose um, that actually some other companies out there are doing some really interesting work in as well. And so how does it work practically in terms of, because everybody is different and that's the, I mean, that's the found, foundation yeah. of, of any performance ma uh, uh, mapping kind of yeah. understanding that, tracking it, but then mapping it in terms of being able to understand some insights from it. How much time do you need with one of those sensors to understand what's normal versus not normal? Oh, it's such a good question. And that's one of the hardest things in hydration, to be honest. Um, we sort of think about metrics in hydration as either static or dynamic, meaning in a static uh, marker, you would be looking at something, almost think about like your, your temperature, right? If you take your temperature, um, in theory, it should be a, a normalized 98.6. And if you're significantly higher, for example, you know, something could be wrong. That kind of a static marker doesn't exist in hydration, not in sweat, in urine, in blood. It just simply doesn't exist. Um, so we think about our metric more as a dynamic marker, uh, which in that scenario, you kind of have two, two ways of approaching it. And this is so complicated when you start to think about variability. Um, which is enormous when it comes to, to sweat and thermoregulation. So the first question would be looking at a change from baseline. So getting to know a particular individual's baseline and that deviation from that baseline should inform, you know, that person's relative hydration level. Um, that is also really hard because it requires a certain number of uses or calibrations for that user before that product is even useful. And that's not a particularly friendly use case uh, for the consumer. So we take the third option, which is that, um, our patch is sensing what's happening on the body completely regardless of who that body belongs to, whether you're male, female, um, older, young, fit, or, or less fit, um, all these factors that can impact um, sweat rate, our patch doesn't discriminate. It's just sensing what's happening on that person's body. And the beauty of it is, you know, when somebody interacts with our platform, we are collecting certain demographic data about them, but it's not so much to be delivering um, accurate data to them. It's so that we can then on the back end start to correlate insights on you know, a, a specific person's um, sweat profile because we've now tagged it with their age, gender, race, fitness level, et cetera. Yeah, and, and level, yeah, level of exertion, I guess, of what they're doing. Exactly, that's, yeah, that's a huge yeah. part of it. And so, environmental conditions is one of the biggest things we face is, you know, the exact same person, their, their fluid needs are going to be very different on two different days if the weather has changed. Yeah, I think anyone who's done, like travel, for instance, international travel, I remember yeah. like from London to Texas and going for a run one day and then arriving in Texas and going for a run the next day, 
and almost died. It was just, you know, temperature change, humidity change, everything like that. I haven't changed. Yeah. I got off a flight, I'm probably dehydrated, but it's all those things that, um, that. are the environmental um, impacts around that. So yeah, no doubt. following on from that kind of understanding the, the value of any performance tracking is the insights that it can give. It's not just kind of tracking or data for the sake of it. Um, where do you see the future going with these health monitoring tracking? Is it via data partnerships and integration with existing wearables? And I, I was thinking specifically around, I mean, Apple Watch, Amazon Halo, um, yeah. even Whoop, we spoke to Will Armand recently. Um, is it kind of tapping into what they're already doing when they're tracking a whole bunch of different health metrics? Um, or is it much more kind of siloed? I think the future is absolutely integration and whether that, you know, whether you're considering that from a software integration perspective or a hardware integration perspective, I think the reality is, is more and more data streams become available because technology has, has enabled them. Uh, what we're probably not going to have is users again, whether they're athletes or warfighters or, you know, laborers, what we're not going to have is those users wearing, you know, three, four, five, six, seven devices. Um, so integration is inevitable. Um, the question is, as a, as a very small company, as a startup, how do you build a product and prove its value if it's dependent on another platform from day one? That's a really tough strategic question. As a small company, we're a, you know, a company of five people, it would be irresponsible for us to build a product that was dependent on a specific um, platform. So I think the answer to that is, you know, you build out your, and very much in the way that Whoop has done, is you build out your platform as a standalone, you prove its value, you know, in a certain segment or certain population, um, and then, you know, you leave it open to integration from day one and build those partnerships along the way. And that's, a, that's exactly what our path has been. So we've built this standalone patch. Um, we've built it in a way that it's sort of modular so that we can take certain parts of that and adapt it to existing hardware platforms. Um, and, uh, and certainly made it integratable on the software side as well. So on day one, when we launch, um, we will have some of those integrations in place. Yeah. And so what size is the, the patch at the moment? What, what are we talking? The patch itself is a, is a thin disposable sort of almost think like a kind of high tech band aid, and it's about two inches in diameter. So that just sits on the skin, um, kind of on the flank, sort of on the rib cage. Um, and transmits data. We have a small electronic component connected to that and it transmits data to our native app in real time, but also a Garmin watch or an Apple watch in real time. Yeah. And so in terms of placement, I'm kind of circling back to the earlier questions about um, sweat and all bodies are different. Is that just because that's where you get the best sweat readings or is it, is it something to do with like it's, it's people aren't going to rub against it or what's, what's the placement there? It's definitely a combination. So commercially, we look to launch in endurance sports first, which is really more of a go-to-market decision for us that I'm happy to chat further about. Um, but the patch itself actually does not change whether it's a marathoner or a football player or a soldier wearing it, um, because the, re the reality is the physiology itself is the same. Yeah. So when we think about placement on the body, it's oftentimes more about um, user experience, making sure it's a part of the body that's not gonna be in the way, it's not gonna get bumped off, as you mentioned. Um, big debate as whether it should be something that's concealed under the clothing or something that's you know sort of on the arm or something, or the hand, something that's more accessible. 
Um, and at the end of the day, you know, what kind of won out was having it placed on an area where our algorithms could support uh, that whole commercial roadmap. Again, whether you're a marathoner, football player, um, warfighter, you know, manufacturer, whatever your, your situation happens to be, um, because you do sweat differently on different parts of the body. So if you were to place the patch on the arm, we would need a different algorithm than placing the patch on the flank. So, so we wanted to choose a part of the body that was really gonna work probably for most of these use cases and be really unobtrusive. The idea here is completely passive data collection, something that's never gonna inconvenience the user um, and delivering the data on a device that they're already using. Yeah, I mean, so following on from that around um, use cases, I guess, and, and customer areas, what are the, what are the areas you're most excited for the growth of NICs, but also just generally biosensors? I mean, you covered a few there, sports, obviously, endurance, especially, um, healthcare, industrial, kind of um, in the workplace, uh, and then, of course, uh, warfighters out on the battlefield. What, what area are you most excited for? It's such a great question because there's so many pros and cons to each segment. Um, I will say maybe a slightly unpopular um, declaration here, but to be honest, we're not that keen on team sports. Um, part of the challenge is, you know, our, our business model is that we make money on this very low cost, high margin disposable. We are not charging a subscription when we're going directly to the consumer, which is our approach um, in the sports world. So the challenge there is, in team sports, you know, we've got to figure out a way or anybody who's who's focusing on team sports from, you know, youth all the way through professional, your sales call point is completely different. If it's, you know, the mom of a youth soccer player to the strength and conditioning coach at, you know, an NFL team, um, those are those are two completely different um, sales forces, two completely different, you know, sets of value propositions. To be honest, coming back to your earlier question about integration, we would rather integrate with an existing platform that has those relationships um, with teams, again, whether it's you know high school through pro, uh, that already have this existing platform where now our metrics around hydration and hyperthermia can just be integrated with that same you know, athlete management system. Yeah. So, you know, again, maybe a little bit unpopular because it's obviously, a, it's, it's sort of a sexy development when sports tech companies have, um, you know, have their sensors on, you know, professional teams and professional athletes. And the irony is actually we're doing all of that as well. And we've got about a dozen, uh, you know, retired athletes and active athletes in our cap table as well. But, but commercially, we're very focused and very excited about the endurance sports space. Um, for some, that can seem counterintuitive until they realize that it's 60 million people in the U.S. that are avid endurance athletes, which is bigger than all cancers combined, uh, bigger than diabetes. It's just, you know, it's one of these markets that, you know, those athletes are not revered. They're not famous. They don't make a lot of money. Um, but the people that practice that sport are ideal customers. They are uh, they have discretionary income. They are very routine and superstitious. They are painfully aware of dehydration impacting their performance on a regular basis and very motivated um, to solve it. So we're, we're super excited about that as an entry point. And then to be honest, I'm really excited to see what happens in this um, sort of occupational health or industrial mm -hmm. setting. Um, I was just chatting with a, an advisor the other day that um, sort of uses this phrase uh, of, of enlightenment around plant managers, for example, that, that, you know, more and more these plant managers are coming around with a concept of hydration being one of the most central 
um, factors in worker efficiency and energy um, and, and staving off fatigue. So I think when that, when that concept really comes around, and I think this whole movement of connected fitness, connected health is really spurring that forward, I think that's going to be a really, really interesting sector, um, not just for us, but for biosensors more broadly. And I think it's, you know, for companies that went to that segment a little early, you know, in the last five or 10 years, they may have been finding that, you know, it's a tough segment to sell into because, you know, it's not necessarily a traditionally tech-enabled um, sector as far as the humans are concerned, right? When we look at our cars, there's more sensors in our car. We know how better how our cars are running than how we know our bodies are running. Um, but, you know, some industries will be a little bit slower to come around to technology adoption. Yeah, certainly we, when you put it in terms of, I mean, there's obvious health and safety applications, say you're working down a mine or, or something like that, like a very high risk um, and uh, hostile yeah. environment where it's, well, it's, it's really about your safety, but then also going to the other end where it's about your efficiency. So yeah. if you're dehydrated, if you're, you know, you're going to be headaches, not concentrating, or everyone's been dehydrated right. before in their lives and they can recognize the, the right. symptoms. It's not a fun experience. Um, and when it goes to the worst end of that, um, which you see also in endurance, endurance sports, I mean, someone doing Ironman, people yeah. collapsing. I um, remember my first Ironman, just seeing people drop like flies. And it's a bizarre yeah. thing to see the human body shut down. Yeah. Um, but a lot of that's around hydration, um, nutrition, all that kind of stuff. So in terms of that endurance market, uh, yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's huge. We mentioned Ironmans. Like when people ask about, well, triathletes and people that are doing these ridiculous endurance things, yeah. the actual, it's not just the size of the market, it's the spend of the market. Yeah. So kind of up there with, you'll spend $250 on a carbon fiber drink bottle case. Um, <laughs> if someone comes along and says, hey, I've got this thing that'll make you, you know, we'll let you know that you're, you're, you're about to um, hit the wall. Exactly. Um, then people are going to be happy to, to, um, to do that. It, yeah. And at the moment it's disposable. Is there, a, is there a point that you think like is kind of that based off, where the technical development is or is that a specific business decision like is there a way that you're kind of pushing towards something that's a little bit more um permanent semi-permanent it's such a good question and it you know kind of relates back to your, your last comment which is that when we're thinking about endurance sports you know part of the deliberate product design was around a disposable and that's a little bit non-traditional when we look at other wearables right um, so why that was deliberate is, you know, when we think about how we need to position a product like this to be successful, um, sure, there's plenty of, of folks in the endurance space that have discretionary income. You know, as you mentioned, Ironman, uh, folks that are training will spend 10, 15, 20 grand on a bike. Um, so if we wanted to sell a very expensive, you know, more durable electronic good that was somewhere in the three, four, five hundred dollar range, um, you know, potentially this, this segment would be an acceptable place to do that. But the reality is, um, you know, it's, it's really a metric that when we're thinking about hydration, it's different all the time. And so the model of being able to, you know, put a patch on somebody and do that at least once a week for that longer run or longer ride on the weekend, um, if not multiple times per week for multiple workouts, you know, if we can do that to the tune of $5 per patch, which is the retail price we're targeting, um, it, I mean, it's still a no-brainer. So, so we kind of position this whole um, product strategy and that business model around, you know, mimicking the, the use case of some other 
what we sort of call, you know, these essential toolkit products like fueling products and other, you know, consumable hydration products um, where, you know, it becomes, again, sort of this no-brainer that for $5 a week, you get this insurance policy that your hydration is not going to be what goes wrong on your workout. Um, so that is deliberate. The other side of that, the flip side of that is that um, it is sort of a, a law of physics that it's an impossibility that optical bioimpedance is going to work as a sensing method for dehydration. And we've seen many prospective um, competitors attempt to get that to work and to not, and to fail to get it to work. Can you, can you just for my sake and the listeners, can you repeat that sentence in English? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, so optical bioimpedance yeah, is... Yeah, law, law of physics and then you completely lost me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so optical bioimpedance is the method by which we are all having our heart rate and other uh, sort of metrics measured yeah. by our wristbands. Gotcha. So it's the, the light sensors on the back of your, your Garmin, your Whoop, your Apple Watch that are usually in the red or the green color range. Um, what's literally happening is those lights are getting shined into your flesh, into your wrist, and the portion of that light that is impeded, um, which means it is not returned back to the sensor on the watch, um, the, the algorithms in that, in that system are, are basically deriving some physiological insight based on that portion of the signal that has been impeded. Yeah. Um, why that's not going to work for hydration is because body water, as it sits in the cells and in the flesh, is not an impeder of light. Water yeah. is a scatterer and conductor of light. And so, you know, that that's sort of I'm way oversimplifying kind of the challenges here. But, you know, this sort of sensing method, even for things like heart rate, um, is sort of notoriously challenging when you are talking about a wrist with body hair, uh, when you're talking about skin with certain levels of melanin, when you're talking about skin tattoos, when you're talking about um, when it's cold out or hot out, all of that is changing your, your sort of circulation to that part of your body and your extremities. So the metric is pretty challenging to begin with. Um, and when applied to hydration, it's, it's sort of a non-starter. So coming back to your question about our disposable model, um, we knew that the best way for us to be successful in offering something that was truly accurate to a user, especially at a low cost, so that it could be accessed by, you know, these, these athletes at the front of the pack, as well as the athletes at the back of the pack, um, was to make it a disposable. So again, we sort of use that analogy of a smart band-aid um, very deliberately. Uh, because to be honest, the other sort of consideration is that once you put your body fluids in or on a device, uh, the best method to, to clean it is just to simply throw it away. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And thank you. I appreciate the kind of explain like I'm five or a smart <laughs> golden retriever um, explanation. I, I, yeah, I, I kind of understand all those decisions that go into that. And that's something as well that um, as a, as from a product design point of view, and certainly people that are other people that are listening that are working in the performance wearable space, um, it's starting from the point of accuracy for your product yeah. and working backwards and not necessarily going, well, other competitors who may seem similar in the space are doing this. Well, yeah. what's going to make your product work because that should be the starting point for anything in the, um, in the tracking space. I completely agree. I think there are so many products out there that were born out of an ability to build something that could do a certain thing or track a certain metric without much consideration 
uh, of whether anybody cared and mm -hmm. whether they wanted that metric tracked in the first place or what it would take to get that data in someone's hands, both in terms of user experience or level of invasiveness or cost. So we very much built um, and sort of sort of harkens back to a, a phenomenal opportunity that I had when I was starting Nix. Um, I was an entrepreneur in residence at, at Harvard. So I, I had salary support literally from day one of ideation, which no entrepreneur ever has that luxury. So I had the opportunity to really dig into the pain point around hydration management, um, really understand every nuance of the problem for the endurance athlete, the team sport athlete, the warfighter, the laborer, before we ever set pen to paper on figuring out the technology to solve the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it's, that's, as you said, not all, every entrepreneur has got that, um, got that ability. Also, not every entrepreneur has got um, connections into a little university known as Harvard. Uh, but something I would encourage all entrepreneurs in this space is go to university partners. Wherever you are in the world, you will be, if you're not already doing it, I don't know why, but you'll be shocked how willing and helpful um, educational institutions are to assist with research, with validation, um, and, and also just in terms of um, talent, like helping, yeah. you know, getting doctorate researchers to, that are researching on something that's relevant in that space, being able to help you with your research. Um, and Absolutely. It, it can be a really fast way for companies to get that validation they need before they enter the market. Absolutely. A, a sort of leg up in terms of developing their technology. And then we rely very heavily on our scientific advisory board still as we're designing protocols, as we're validating our data, all of that. Great. Well, thanks so much for your time, Meredith. Uh, before we go, I've got to ask you one last question. What is your favorite sporting moment of all time? Oh my gosh, hands down in 2017, um, my, my girl crush and idol in the running world, Shalene Flanagan, uh, won the New York City Marathon. Um, and it was sort of came late in her career. So I will never shake the image of her running uh, by herself through the finisher's shoot, um, screaming profanities with her, her very uh, victorious fist in the air. It was a great moment. That's awesome. Yeah, that was... Um... Yeah, also, I mean, in 2017, it feels like a lifetime ago when we actually had running events. So that's a, that's a yeah. note as well. Hopefully 2021 for everyone um, like both of us that enjoy that, we can, we can get back into that mass participation yeah. role. But in the meantime, got to go slog it out in the pavement um, <laughs> on your own. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for that. We'll include a, a kind of link to that in the show notes and, as well as some more information about Nick's. Um, so people can go on there and have a look themselves and keep an eye on your launch as well. Wonderful. Thanks so much. It was just great talking to you. There you have it. That was Meredith Cass, CEO of Nix Biosensors. Really interesting chat there. Uh, loved kind of the balance between the technical applications, uh, including explaining to me like a very smart Labrador or a five-year-old, uh, some of the applications there, uh, and, and then also some of the business side of it because um, that's certainly something that we at Sports Tech World Series and Sports Tech Feed are, are pretty interested in in how to grow sports tech startups and, and how to grow those businesses. So obviously a super hot space to watch uh, in terms of biosensors, wearables, all that kind of stuff. And we look forward to seeing Meredith on her launch of Nix and the rest of the team and seeing how they grow. As always, I've been your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you joining us this week. I'm looking forward to seeing you again next week on Sports Tech Feed. Sports Tech Feed.